Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, reach out to me directly. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. Uh, I will find you the right group or people to take care of you. All right, speaking of taking care of you, that's what we do on the show, right, is give you great market intel actionable information that you can really do something with. And one thing we're always concerned about is, you know, we want to skate where the puck is going. What's going to happen in the economy? What's going to happen with supply chain issues? What's going to happen in retail sales moving forward? What's going to happen with work from home and all this stuff going on with the different sectors? Is industrial going to keep killing it, multifamily as well? Well, to help us, we want to look at real estate in the economy. Please welcome my guest. It's Brian Bailey. He's a commercial real estate expert with the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Brian, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us, sir. Michael, thank you very much for having me back. It's great to be on your show. And you needed to give us a disclaimer? <laughs> Absolutely. Just for full transparency, these are my views and not necessarily those of my esteemed colleagues at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta or the Board of Governors. <laughs> there you go. And I'll give my disclaimer. If I give a view on this show, it is my view and a view of my company, and <laughs> we're okay with it, right or wrong. <laughs> uh, We've got the opposite ends of the spectrum today, yes. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I could get fired any minute for being on the show. I just hope I make it another 11 years. <laughs> We've been on air 11 years, so thank you to the audience. Thank you to the guests like Brian, who's been on many times over the years, and Thanks for the sponsors uh, as well that have uh, made this show really work. Well, Brian, let's get into the, to the, the business here. You know, a lot of people have seen the economy seem to be doing well. Somebody asked me the other day how business was, and I said, well, it's really been a boom this year. There's been a, a lot of a business, and it's been going well. And he said, you know, it's interesting because it seems like I hear that the economy's in trouble, but everybody's making money. <laughs> so... Uh, what what is ahead of us? What's going on, Brian? Right. It's a. I mean, it's a very interesting time as we've rebounded from the severe shutdowns associated with the pandemic in 2020. Uh, you know, we've put back to work uh, uh, 17, almost 18 million people, and from that standpoint, uh, you know, that is uh, almost double uh, what we uh, the people the economy put back to work uh, coming out of the. Uh, great financial crisis in 2008. Uh, so certainly, you know, very, very strong, uh, uh, robust results. At the same point, we've probably got upwards of five, five and a half million folks uh, that remain out of work today. And a lot of those are uh, in areas of the economy uh, where, you know, people come into contact. There are uh, lower skilled uh, workers. And from, you know, from that standpoint, we certainly need to uh, give the economy some time to allow those folks to re-enter the workforce. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to an employer the other day that has multiple companies, and she informed me that she's got she's found out that some of her employees had two jobs because of the work from home. They're working two full-time jobs. So it seems like there's a, a lot of jobs out there for the, for the people who want them, isn't there? 
It's a it's an interesting time with you know the significant uh, mismatch in skills. Uh, from that standpoint, I mean there are millions of open positions that are unmet uh, as as uh, uh, you know the sk- skills mismatch. We're aware of a, a number of businesses that are are telling us right now that uh, they could easily hire uh, a, a significant number of workers if the uh, right labor was available. And you know, from from that standpoint, it's a concern on my part as as you know, folks who are not in the workforce or jobs that are not filled, you know, represents an underutilization of the economy in a time where you know we need the economy to be uh it's improving but we need to we need to have it back to uh you know some semblance of of the uh conditions you know pre-pandemic and while we're on the discussion of jobs it seems like uh there's a lot of people uh getting unemployment and the, the bonus unemployment and we're not going back to work because they could sit at home and make more money or, or almost as much money uh, but some of that's really dissipating at this point. Are are you seeing any adjustment in, in regard to that issue? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a significant amount of uh, the enhanced unemployment benefits has expired by now. And, you know, from, from that standpoint, uh, you know, some of those workers have reentered the workplace. I think you know a couple of a couple of statistics that stand out to me that are that are you know pretty pretty eye-opening. Uh, since the pandemic, we've had over three million workers retire from the workforce, which out of 150 uh, million workers, you know that that certainly begins to add up. There are also um, about a million and a half, maybe a little bit more, million and a half, two million moms right now that are out of the workforce because of concerns about the adequacy adequacy of safe childcare. Um, and so certainly I think, you know, between three million uh, retirements and then, you know, million and a half to two million moms that are out of the workforce today, that certainly is having a, a you know, a sizable impact uh, on labor conditions and potentially overall business conditions because we've had a number of businesses say, that you know we're only able to open to 50 or 70 percent of our daily capacity because uh, you know 30 or 50 percent of our workers don't show up, and so from that standpoint, again, you know we have uh, kind of an under uh, underutilization of the economy, which if it goes long enough, certainly impacts uh, you know the field of commercial real estate. Yeah. And, you know, we do a lot of business with companies here at our shop that uh, uh, a lot of them are working in their offices and a lot of them are working from home. And we've seen a noticeable difference uh, in the amount of response time and, and quality output from companies that are actually working in their offices. And, and one of the things that we're seeing a lot of companies uh, do these days, which uh, some people are concerned about, is requiring vaccines. Uh, fully vaccinated people only to, to work in their businesses. I, I recently did that at, at my shop. I said, hey, if you're a commissioned agent at my shop, uh, we only want you here around our people if you're fully vaccinated. And I'm really all about rights, people having their own rights to be vaccinated or not. Um, but also it seems like, you know, if I could save a life, even if I don't, people don't like my decision, if maybe I save a life, uh, it, it will be worth it to have a few people, you know, not happy with me. 
is is more and more companies require fully vaccinated uh, their people to be fully vaccinated. Is that something that could help the economy to help get people back to work, maybe help the office and retail sectors? Well, I think certainly it could reduce the spread of the pandemic and if, uh, pardon me, the, the spread of the virus. And if we reduce the spread, if we reduce the associated uncertainty, then yes, absolutely. I think that it would help the, the overall economy. Certainly on a business by business, individual by individual basis, uh, we know that there's a lot of lost productivity you know, associated with, with folks who are ill. And from that standpoint, if the vir- you know, the, the vaccine uh, you know, begins to mitigate uh, some of the spread of the virus, it lessens the imp- impact, then from that standpoint, I certainly think that, uh, you know, it could very well be helpful to individuals, businesses, and to the overall economy. Yeah. And what do you think, Brian, this work from home um, aspect that we have uh, in the world today or in the U.S., um, the impact on the economy and, and on commercial real estate? And is it, how long is this, is it going to be an impact? I guess that's I think it's going to be an impact for a while. Absolutely. I think, you know, let's let's start kind of laying the the foundation because I kind of work sequentially, you know, kind of connecting the points right now. But we track uh, the office space markets in 390 uh, individual markets across the U.S., large, small, uh, you know, Atlanta to Dahlonega uh, and and on to L.A., etc., you know, it's fascinating to me of these roughly 390 markets, roughly 25% have very, very significant heightened levels of vacant office space right now, uh, meaning that their vacancy rates are at least 15% above kind of their long term average. Kind of dialing it down a little bit further we look at it and there's actually a sizable group that has vacancy rates in excess of 20, 25% and more. Um, and so certainly the change in the dynamics, the use of office space right now is certainly being felt um, uh, you know, across the nation right now. And I mean, those are you know, markets like Chicago, markets like LA, uh, as well as some smaller markets. So, so certainly, you know, it's encompassing a, a broad number of markets. Kind of going and taking the next step, you know, we think about the investment that, business, that businesses have made in making the virtual environment robust and, and adapting it to the needs of their business. There have been huge amounts of investment and from and from that standpoint, you know we're going to probably continue to see that resource utilized. Backing up a little bit, we've seen in the census numbers in the past two decades that more people are working from home, and so the number of people, the percentage of people working from home, you know, has been growing. And obviously, uh, COVID to some degree in the marketplace has been labeled as the great accelerator. And this is one of the trends that it's accelerating as far as people working from home. Taking it another step, we think about the use of real estate, 
does it make sense to have folks in, say, you know, call center space, which is considered, you know, flex or office space, when they can do the same thing from home and the business can continue to ensure the quality, the timeliness of the customer served, et cetera. And so from that standpoint, you know, we know that uh, call centers, technical support um, really can be done from a lot of places. And so, you know, begins to ask the question, begins to beg the question, will people come back? There's certainly, in, in my view, there's some industries that probably will not return to the office. Call center type operations, IT support, which can easily be done uh, from a remote location. Then looking at traditional office space, you know, we have to kind of look at the tasks that go on in the space. For, for instance, you know, are these highly collaborative tasks, educational? Do they uh, kind of uh, mean that, you know, need the cross-pollinization of ideas? Uh, and so I think from a lot of instances, those, those type tasks will be back in the office. And if you're uh, a person that's involved in those tasks more, has a higher percentage of your time in those tasks, then you'll spend a higher percentage of your time in the office. At the same point, I think we're fully recognizing that uh, jobs such as sales, uh, which require a significant amount of time in front of the client, networking, uh, strategic development of ideas, uh, those probably are, uh, you know, tasks that don't lend themselves as efficiently to the office space. And from that standpoint, you know, those, those tasks, those people will probably be in the field or working remotely a greater percentage of the time as businesses, you know, acknowledge those tasks are done more efficiently in you know quiet places or, or uh, area in in areas where they're in front of the client from that standpoint, and so I think that you know we'll see this change uh, in the use of office. Um, not necessarily that the office is going away, but I think it just will change, and we might see you know the development of quiet spaces compared to kind of a general uh, you know cube style uh, general purpose layout. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that, you, you know, you guys have so much access to the information and the numbers and, and what's going on in all these markets. And, you know, uh, as uh, brokers here uh, in the field, um, we kind of see uh, maybe a little bit of a head start on those numbers that aren't out yet. And we're seeing on the um, activity of tours, it's really increasing. And we're seeing company leadership, you know, having challenges already with productivity and you know, they talk about, you know, they do a survey and the, and the, uh, the employees survey say, oh, you know, 90% of us are more effective at working at home. Well, next, Netflix says the opposite. <laughs> so I, just don't, I don't know if it's going to work out. And I think when it comes down to advancing your career, if you're an employee or profits, if you're a company, I think the benefits of getting people together are going to come back stronger than then then my analysts and economist friends uh, really are telling me like you and it, it's amazing to uh, to see the differences and thoughts there and and as we deal with companies uh, a lot and, and we deal with companies with people that work from home and it's just it's really aggravating uh, 
And, and while I know there's what you're saying makes absolute sense, there's going to be a lot of uh, companies and businesses that they can work from home and, and, uh, and work well. I think there's a tremendous amount as time goes on where they'll realize that that's really problematic. And, um, and again, I could get fired from my opinion. So, <laughs> so if I get fired, it was, must have been a bad opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I, I love to give kind of actionable information, you know, and one of the trends I think that we're going to see that will completely turn on its ear is, you know, since the 1980s, the early 1980s, we have seen this huge focus on densification. You know, we are cramming more people into the same square footage. And I think really with the dynamics um, in the, you know, with the pandemic and the change in employee sentiment, we're seeing a lot of businesses that are saying, you know, our employees are no longer comfortable with bench uh, style seating arrangements around a table. And from, and from that standpoint, I think that we'll see kind of the reverse of the densification trend meaning and and so you know where we're at you know 100 or 125 square feet per employee you know certainly i think over time we'll see that trend widen out i do believe we will uh be able to uh realize a little bit of enhanced efficiency because now we're going to be going through the offices with a little bit more fine-tooth comb and and you know finding people like myself who have a designated seating area, but I'm out of the office so much that it probably doesn't make sense for me to have a designated seating area. People like me probably need, you know, the the opportunity, the availability to uh, utilize a hoteling model. And so from that standpoint, I think we'll be able to pull out a little bit more of an efficiency in that respect. That's a good point. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, that, I think we were seeing on the servicer side of helping companies uh, a little bit of a trend before the pandemic of going back to more square footage per person to um, to attract and, and retain uh, good talent um, and also just to be a more healthy environment even before the pandemic. So I agree. I think there'll be more of square footage per person. You just think about it, you know, your office costs are a lot less expensive than your people costs and that cost of training and turnover and retention and cybersecurity and client um, protection and just just you know the, the incredible cost of that of that turnover when you have it uh, and lack of culture and productivity anyway I'm gonna get off my soapbox <laughs> office to come back strong well, let's talk about retail uh, it seems like there's a lot of buyers uh, wanting to get out to have money and buy retail but some of them are having trouble uh, getting to the products Brian well, I mean, I'll, let me comment from the from the sales perspective a little bit because it was certainly fascinating uh, from my point of view. Uh, uh, at the Atlanta Fed, we commissioned a, a study and wanted to look at you know the percent of retail sales, e-commerce versus traditional sales, and certainly we're all aware that you know e-commerce has just been you know knocking knocking the socks off with their phenomenal growth rates you know over the last 5 years and then certainly during the uh, uh you know the the shelter in place mandates uh you know we saw we saw just you know phenomenal growth rates uh in e-commerce sales at the same point when the shelter in place mandates lifted 
we saw people that that got out and and spent very aggressively at traditional bricks and mortar retailers and so from you know from that standpoint you know it was great to see that that people were out and about again um and certainly you know there is some uh question about you know the rise of of the you know the sequential variants uh certainly we're kind of tailing seeing delta begin to tail off a little bit uh but some retail is doing very well i think others malls uh power centers others with kind of larger good sellers seems to be the common denominator uh that seem to be that seem to be struggling a little bit but i my expectation is that you know we'll kind of see that kind of come around again i mean you look at amazon they've bought uh three dozen malls in the last uh last few years and certainly i think that they will repurpose them uh you know you'll see kind of a hybrid develop of showroom space and then a significant amount of of delivery uh capability so i think that you know we'll we'll see uh you know retail is 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 definitely some areas are are very very strong i do have questions uh you think about us grocery sales right now uh from an e-commerce perspective we're lagging several of uh you know our our international brethren the uk south korea uh have much stronger much higher percent of uh online grocery sales than we do so certainly there's the capability to do it and we know that there are a number of uh uh participants right now that are working very hard to kind of overcome the you know for lack of better words the perishability dynamic uh, and get food delivered right to your door. Uh, there's a very large grocery chain right now that's using uh, drones to deliver within one mile of their store. Uh, so, you know, fascinating, and we'll continue to watch that pilot. Uh, there's another uh, large grocery uh, chain that's uh, building a series of highly automated warehouses. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've got very sizable, poten- you know, potentially very sizable capabilities uh as far as order picking my my uh intelligence says they can pick upwards of 65 or 70,000 orders per week uh so you know pretty sizable capability and then certainly we've got you know some of the you know uh kind of kind of uh, more fringe uses of technology uh you know your football game or whatever probably has been interrupted by uh, the commercials for a character who's uh, trying to stop the uh, autonomous vehicle delivery of uh, a pizza chain. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I don't do a lot of, of shopping. I just don't, don't really enjoy it. But I did go in the grocery store the other day, and I hadn't been in there a while, and they were really glad to see me. You know how I know, Brian, because, you know, when they lights the light lights up on, on a runway when a model's walking down, well, I walked down this one aisle, and they just started turning on lights on each side of me as I walked down. And then somebody said, no, you were on the freezer aisle, Michael. <laughs> they weren't glad to see you. One of the things we're hearing and seeing, uh, a lot of us, uh, is we're trying to buy things and we can't get them. We're trying to get parts. We're trying to get uh, various things to, to build real estate and, and develop properties and, and, and just be consumers. And we're having trouble with supply lines, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, and I think that uh, you know the the supply dynamic is is uh, the supply chain is is challenged right now, to say the very least. Whether it's 
uh, commodities. We've seen you know huge fluctuations in the price of commodities, and that really is associated with the reopening and reestablishment of of some of the manufacturing, some of the, some of the production capabilities of uh, of those kind of uh, uh, raw material products. Uh, you know, lumber certainly comes to mind. We saw you know huge spike in prices, and then we've seen a pretty sizable drop off. Uh, you know, kind of taking it a step further on finished goods uh, coming into various ports, U.S. ports, uh, you know, very, very significant cues right now um, as far as ships, uh, container ships uh, that are anchored off of U.S. ports, uh, specifically Long Beach, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, Savannah, um, as well as a couple others where you know there's a there's a sizable waiting queue uh for those fo- for those ships to get berthed and and unloaded on top of that we certainly we've we've kind of transitioned to larger container ships in general and that's creating congestion at the ports themselves and then going a step further we certainly are seeing some congestion on the nation's rail lines uh, you know obviously we're all not fan of, of not fans of gridlock, uh, but certainly you think about you know being stuck in a uh, 20 25 mile traffic jam. Uh, you think about when it when it's one or two lanes, and and really uh, there are several instances today of that very dynamic on the nation's rail arteries, whether it's Chicago uh, or some of the other major rail arteries uh, into into major U.S. cities right now. So that we're, we're, we're seeing, you know, sizable lag times as far as getting product uh, through the system. Hearing about some retailers right now that are saying, we have placed orders, have had placed orders uh, for seasonal goods, specifically Halloween is coming, and they're being told that there's a high probability that those goods may not arrive in time uh, for, for Halloween. Uh, so, that's scary. uh, you know, kind of a <laughs> it's scary, it's that a trick or treat kind of deal. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, certainly that creates, you know, very challenging dynamics if you're the retailer and you miss the season or your season is shortened, not to mention, you know, traffic, co- uh, uh, container costs, shipping costs, uh, you know, have gone up you know, multiple, multiples uh, by multiples. So from that standpoint, uh, you know, some, some very, you know, very sizable bottlenecks at certain points in the supply chain. Yeah. Well, Brian, I think some folks may have thought that these supply chain issues were maybe because of some of the COVID shutdowns and where they're manufacturing and creating these goods. But when you talk about all these ships uh, and ports and the rail line backs up, you know, what's the challenge there? Is that just to, is that pure volume issue or is that a labor issue? What What's the deal there? Yeah, part of it is an investment and infrastructure issue. Uh, we've not invested, we, we have, but we've not invested to the degree uh, that we could to efficiently accelerate uh, some of the product coming out of the ports, whether it's new cranes, whether it's enhanced uh, road or rail infrastructure, definitely a piece of it. I think also that there's a sizable component right now of of labor. We talked a little bit about you know three million retirements. We talked about uh, you know one and a half to two million moms out of the workforce. 
so certainly, you know, there's been a, a sizable change in the workforce itself. There's also been, you know, uh, as those folks have, have not reentered the workforce, there have been a change in the jobs beneath them. And so we've seen a move up in in some of in some of the uh, some of the positions, some of the skill sets. And so from you know from that standpoint, I think that you know we have less drivers, uh, we have more volume coming in at once, and that into ports, uh, inland ports from the, on the rail side. And so from that standpoint, we are creating uh, you know some some more congestion. So if it's involving COVID at all, it's in, it's here, it's it's in the ports, it's in the rail, it's in the trucks. It's not really with the manufacturers creating the products. I, I, I well, I mean, I think we're kind of coming out of some of that manufacturing. I mean, certainly, well, let's let's kind of back back up real quick. So manufacturing overseas, yes, there are some areas, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, etc., uh, some areas in China which are coming out of a shutdown uh, because of the reemergence of COVID. And that has certainly impacted the manufacturing process there. I think when we look over here real quick, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, more, a greater percentage of folks that have been vaccinated, which is kind of mitigating uh, some of the, of the percent of rates of reemergence uh, in, the, in the manufacturing realm. So maybe our manufacturers are having a little bit smoother time uh, at least as far as what I see in the utilization numbers uh, in some of the raw material sectors, i.e. lumber processing. So it sounds like the perfect storm of, of, of many issues uh, causing the supply chain issue. And, I, you know, we're talking with Brian Bailey. He's the commercial real estate expert uh, with the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. And, Brian, I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts, your personal thoughts on inflation um, it seems like some people are concerned about it. What do you think? Well, certainly, you know, the Federal Reserve has, you know, labored for a number of years to get inflation up to, you know, the, the 2% per, the uh, target that the FOMC has established. Certainly, you know, we're seeing the dynamics right now associated with some of the bottlenecks in the supply chain. Uh, which, you know, are, are causing, in, in my opinion, us to kind of, you know, exceed, exceed that target. I'll give you an example. Um, if we compare CPI increases from a year ago and we look at some of the individual components, the individual components that make up CPI, we, we can see that transportation, energy, um, uh, lodging are probably the top three segments of CPI that have had the most sizable increase compared to last year. And, and certainly we know that those areas were also the m areas that were most impacted uh, by the shelter-in-place mandate associated with uh, the virus in 2020. So we're seeing, you know, kind of this reopening dynamic um, at the same point, it's creating bottlenecks in certain areas of the economy, which are, are, are certainly putting upward pressure. We, we just released uh, some information on home ownership. Certainly there has been, you know, a very sizable uh, amount of interest right now in home ownership and the rapid rise in 
uh, prices associated with residential. Uh, our information shows that uh, the median home right now is priced about 340000 uh, That number has increased 23% in the last year compared to the median income, which has increased only 3%. So from an affordability standpoint, we, we certainly are, you know, having more strain um, from, you know, the, the affordability uh, component of residential housing right now. And the Atlanta Fed has put out a, a significant amount of information uh, regarding to the uh, home uh, ownership affordability uh, model. Uh, so that's available on our website. Certainly folks are willing, uh, you know, able to go there and take a look at that. That's perfect. And to make it easy for you, Listeners and viewers will put uh, links to, to these specific items uh, at CREshow.com. Just look at the show with Brian Bailey from the Atlanta Fed, and we'll have those uh, links right there. And, Brian, what would you leave our audience with to think about moving forward as we, uh, we're here in uh, October of 2021? Uh, what do we have to look forward to? What do you leave us with? Well, I mean, certainly there's a you know wide range of dynamics. I mean, I think you know the good news is is that you know, the economy is improving. We'll have another, another opportunity this Friday to validate that as we see, uh, you know, the jobs report for September, which uh, market is estimating at roughly 475,000, which in, in my opinion, uh, we need about 100,000 or so to keep up with 100,000 jobs created to keep up with natural population growth. So, uh, we can hopefully continue the streak of putting folks back to work. At the same point, you know, commercial real estate, we've seen a real bifurcation in performance. Multifamily, industrial have done very well, appear to continue to do well. At the same point, we've seen areas that, you know, there's more uncertainty around. Uh, hotels, office, retail, how, you know, in some segments are doing very well. Other segments are, are challenging. Um, finally, I would leave you, you know, one of the things that I've seen in the last few years is that we've seen the rise of the alt- alternative forms of real estate. So we're talking data centers, uh, we're talking student housing, uh, self-storage is another one, manufactured housing, uh, even for rent uh, single family. And so from, from that standpoint, we're seeing, you know, in my view, a shift um, to include more of these alternative forms of real estate, uh, which, I, which I think is a, a very positive dynamic. Yeah, that's true. A lot of uh, demand in, in all of those property types uh, that you just mentioned and, and a lot of growth there. Well, Brian Bailey, sir, thank you for joining us. Great information as usual. Thank you. Great to be here, Michael. Again, thank you for the invitation. All right. And if you like more information, again, we'll put some of those links that uh, Brian talked about at our website at CRE show.com. Just look for the show with Brian Bailey from the Fed. And uh, hey, we appreciate hearing from you. If uh, you will, join us uh, on your favorite social media and connect with us there. Hey, and we do appreciate you sharing the show with your connections. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing, site selection, and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit buxtonco.com. By Bull Realty. 
for proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. By commercial agent success, expert level commercial real estate broker training, cloud access one, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.